Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter, and what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. Our GOT rewatch continues. We are deep into season two. Oh, it's one of my favorite years. It's one of my favorite seasons. And when you go back and kind of dive in beat by beat, scene by scene, you are rewarded. It's just great performances, great dialogue, great moments. And yes, I'll even say great Great pacing. Uh, I know the show's pacing picked up, much to the chagrin of many, uh, but I am one that understands why the pacing picked up. But man, do I love to slow down in season two. I am not alone today. Uh, about to make his debut on the show here is uh, someone who uh, used to call in to Daily Thrones and contributes to Casually Talk with some great calls. Uh, he uh, has some great insights. Uh, a great broadcast voice. So happy to bring him in here now, making his debut on Casually Talk, not just in it, but on it, is Mark Kamir. You, uh, some of you might know him from the Feeding the Monster podcast feed and other things he's done. Mark, welcome to the show. What an introduction. Now, do I live up to the standard or do I fail miserably? I'm just happy to be here. Uh, happy to join you, Ken, and talk Game of Thrones. This is going to be fun, man. Uh, I, uh, without a doubt, man, your calls, you were one of the first regular callers, Eric Monroe, uh, Thomas Rizling, uh, a lot of great people. I had a lot of names uh, uh, recently, Billy, Addy, Donald Long, and, and names in the past. Uh, but some of your calls early on just uh, you know, got my attention, um, you know, to communicate well. And that's why I love bringing you uh, voices like you into the show. Uh, so before we dive in, uh, I want to I want to get a little bit more about um, your relationship to Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, where it began. The big old question, book first, show first, all at the same time. Did you study the maps uh, before you knew the show? How did you get to, into uh, Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones? Well, stop me if you've heard this one, Ken. It was after I watched season one, I thought to myself, you know what? Uh, I need more. And I immediately went out and got the books. I I remember as soon as episode 10, Blood of uh, Mm -hmm. Fire and Blood of of season one ended, I looked, I was watching it with uh, my folks, actually, which is is weird thinking about it now. But (laughs) there's some whatever. (laughs) And I looked over to uh, my mom, who's like a huge book reader. Yeah. And I I said, so we're getting these books, right? Like we're going to get them. And and she said, yeah, I think we should. And uh, we got them and I picked up right at a Game of Thrones and I just kept going because yeah. I needed more, Ken. Yeah. Look, I'm right there with you. Uh, and, and I love it. Uh, we, we value all entry points into Game of Thrones. This is a, a rewatch right now that is 
focused on the show more than anything, but we always say the books mm-hmm. inform it. And yeah, I'm like you, uh, just like needed more, needed more. I tried so hard to pace myself. I was like season book, season <laughs> book. And I, and I've told that story before here. Listeners know, but it just got so hard after a while. Just like, and there was that big oh, debate. Yeah. Should I put the books on the shelf and wait till the show's finished? And it's like, no, of course not. Uh, they, they exist almost in separate uh, parallel universes, uh, but they're also intertwined uh, completely there. So, all right. Uh, another thing too, I've been uh, talking about, uh, talking about with Michelle and, and, and Rachel, uh, your relationship to season two, uh, especially mm. coming out of just an amazing first season, which is still, you know, I'll call it perfection in its own mm. beautiful, lower budget way. Uh, you got the books, you got the world is swirling around your head. And you go to season two. What were your expectations? What were your thoughts on season two then all the way back in 2012 uh, compared to now or over the years? Well, since I read A Clash of Kings, which is book two, before season two hit, my only thing was I have no idea how they're going to pull off A, then B, then mm. C, and what the hell is D going to look like? Yeah. Uh, th- so my expectation was high because they set the bar so high with season one. They really did. Yeah. And having read A Clash of Kings, I go, I just, I don't know how they're going to pull this off. And lo and behold, of course they did. Of course they did. <laughs> I, w- I will say one thing that yeah. threw me about season two was there is a, and maybe this is just a technical thing, but there was a palette change uh, in the uh, cinematography. I don't know if mm. you ever go back, if you notice this in the rewatch of season one, but there was sort of this sort of shiny, glossy yeah. palette yeah. in the filming. As soon as we start season two, that's gone. Mm. And so at first that bothered me, but then I realized, no, mm. you know what? They got rid of the glam. So now it's a little gritty. It looks a little more like Westeros is yeah. real it like this actually now this this doesn't feel like we're mm-hmm. obviously in a fantasy realm mm-hmm. this feels real we're in it so as yeah. soon as i got that out of my head i went oh okay cool i hope they continue this and as far as i can tell they did yeah and then looking at uh, you can you can kind of tell it's like you know years ago i used to work at a mall and you could blindfold me and put me into a corridor and believe it or not i could pick it out by the smell all right not not saying that's a great thing but i i was there so long you you could just show me a shot and be like oh season five season six season seven season eight season one like you're saying i i i mm-hmm. think a lot of us uh know what you're talking about and, and i agree yeah season one the budget lower of course the pilot or the pilot that we see Tyrion's wig yeah. you saw this everything kind of <laughs> just got better and and they adapted and I agree I think you, you by the time you that opening scene of season two Tyrion showing up mm-hmm. uh on, on Joffrey's name day and everything it's just it had a it had a different feel a different look to it and and I think that's a great thing for you to point out here um all right let's dive into themes and lessons uh, our favorite scenes and quotes uh we are looking at of course season two episode four which is the 14th episode overall garden of bones uh i love that title uh, original air oh, date yeah. april 22nd 2012 oh it seems like yesterday do you remember what you were doing when you watched the garden of bones episode for the first time mark uh i was in college uh so it's uh that was my Sunday thing. And believe it or not, kids, there was a time where not everyone in the world was watching Game of Thrones. That's true. Uh, that, did, that didn't really happen, I think, until season three when people started yeah. picking up or maybe even season two. Let's let's say two for this yeah. the sake of argument. But mm. that's what I would do. Yeah. 
And I was just, I had my uh, social media ready to just talk about my thoughts on the episode and and then yell at everybody, why aren't you watching the show? It's great. And now I could kick myself for doing that, but yeah. it's fine. It's fine. Uh, no, I love it. And yeah, I remember I was sitting in my living room at, at the house mm-hmm. and uh, homework be damned watching Game of Thrones. Love that. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, wasn't quite in college myself, but... You're so right, too. As the ratings started to climb, I mean, people around me were watching. But, I, yeah, I think by, by the end of season two, whatever, but I'll say season three, the anticipation for it, that was the first, like, uh, party I had for a, a premiere party. I had people at the house. Like, the, you know, without it, the show's popular. But, again, we always say HBO would renew it at the end of, you know, it was still like, is the show going to get another season? Which was, you think, yeah. is silly. And, and the awards were starting to come in. And the episode today were we're covering is an award-winning episode specifically. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It wasn't until season three where, uh, you know, then you can walk into Hot Topic and uh, see it everywhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hot Topic, Spencer's Gifts, like yeah. you name it. It's Game of Thrones is everywhere What's now. A, uh, the, none, none of these are sponsors, of course, but Box, Box Lunch is actually one of my favorite little stores. You go in and it's just, uh, you know, oh, good, I do need a Tyrion notebook. Um, the uh, director <laughs> of this episode, uh, I always mess up some of these names. It, it, it's just me. It's not them. It's David uh, Petra... Uh, Pet- Petra Raka, Petraka. I want to say Petra, sure. like the city of Petra, and then add an RCA <laughs> on the end of it. Uh, so here he go. is, uh, David, as we'll call him. Uh, he, he's not known, uh, and, and this has been fun. Uh, when I say not known, there's a lot of directors from Game of Thrones: Alan Taylor, uh, um, Neil Marshall, uh, Mike, uh, Miguel uh, Sapochnik, uh, Michael. Mm-hmm. That was a, that would a weird switch. Um, Miguel <laughs> Sapochnik, who's now, of course, one of the showrunners on on House of the Dragon. They go on to, to great acclaim. Uh, Michelle McLaren almost got Wonder Woman. That fell apart. For Patty, Patty Jenkins to come aboard. This is a, a director. Uh, many directors uh, in these. Uh, I looked at the names uh, either now or on the rewatch I'm doing with with Grace, um, which were a little bit ahead. And it's like, oh, I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I did like DB Weiss right. directed one. You forget. Uh, uh, he was a uh, David was a uh, HBO kind of an in house director almost. And I'm just a Boardwalk Empire, Game of Thrones, Big Love, Hung, True Blood, as well as Marco Polo. He had a lot of uh, those uh, kind of. Uh, Big budget kind of high concept uh, HBO shows. The uh, HBO keeps a lot of those uh, usual suspect uh, director uh, sort of players just in their wheelhouse in case. Yeah. Hey, we have a show, do an episode, and you know yeah. see see what happens. Uh, I've noticed that a lot. Uh, Tim Van Patten's another one. Yep. Uh, David Nutter, he like shows up and well, David it. Nutter shows up everywhere. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, and they do. That. I mean, HBO does that a lot with uh, the actors too. You, you'll see them in, in yes. Game of Thrones. The Rome connection, uh, Kieran Hines or Indira Varma. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it and it works for them. And, and I do kind of uh, do kind of like it. The writer of this episode was Vanessa Taylor. And, and speaking of uh, you know names who who don't get generally associated with Game of Thrones now, when you when you go back to some of the uh, bigger writers or names, uh, and we, we were talking off air, uh, Mark. Yeah, I, I'll admit I, I haven't really clicked on her name. And uh, there she is. She, she she co-writes The Shape of Water, which was nominated for an Academy Award. So uh, she puts a, a great episode out here for Game of Thrones. I love the writing in this episode, and Vanessa oh, yeah. Taylor uh, there at the pen. I I just it's it's so funny that uh, yeah it, the writing in this episode is so great that same person would go on to write a a fish love story and win best picture. <laughs> it's all about love and if there's some love in this episode. Cinematographer Martin uh, Kenzie editing Katie Wyland another great job from her. So 
diving in. Mark, themes, lessons. I got a few, but I'd love to have you kind of lead off this ball game with some of the themes and lessons you pulled out or uh, just were pulled into uh, while watching this episode. The thing that struck out to me the most was, uh, and I don't even know if you would call it a solid theme, but this is what I gathered from it. War is hell and it is not pretty nor clean. And we see several examples of this mindset uh, throughout the show on two different spectrums. And then really, if you break it down, uh, it's we are in the nitty gritty. uh, We're getting neck deep into the War of Five Kings uh, or four right now. But uh, yeah, it's it's this episode, I think, is showing us this is what it's like in the daily life of being at war and everyone's at war with one another. And so this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's sometimes you have to Mm -hmm. really harsh decisions uh, that aren't popular, that aren't clean as it were in order to get the result that you need. This is a great uh, thing here. I I wrote down the idea of reality, the realities of war. And I love how, that kind of leads a little bit. We're starting to go down the the, the Rob Stark defeat path, which begins way before we kind of uh, want it to or pay attention to. But we get to see him. Yes, he meets Talisa in this episode um, and falls in love mm-hmm. with her as she saws off a guy's name, which is to me like uh, almost famous when uh, uh, Patrick Fugic's char- character falls in love with Kate Hudson as she's Odin and the, <laughs> the hotel nurses and doctors <laughs> are, uh, you know, sticking a tube down her throat and, and the song that he's like, yeah. fall in love with her. Rob Stark's watch- stomach bump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, stomach bump. <laughs> and Rob, Rob Stark's watching Talisa with a saw cutting off a Lannister's. Uh, I'm like, just- oh, that's, that works. Uh, but, uh, but that's this, kinda- this is. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, I just called this moment the first temptation of Rob. Uh, it's beautiful, and it is, and, and this leads to things, and we're obviously going to be talking about some of the uh, foreshadowing and things of more meaning here. But the, mm. uh, the uh, yeah, so that's the highlight of the scene is to Lisa, but, but, uh, but you know, I think the real big focus that I, uh, and that's a big, obviously a big storyline, but but uh, Roos Bolden, we get to really spend time with Roos here, not happy with mm-hmm. the prisoners instead. And to your point, to back up what you said, this is why it's a great uh, theme to dive into and lesson. More, maybe even, yeah, except more theme than, more lesson than theme. But Roos Bolden has this quote, the high road is very pretty, but you have a hard time marching your army down it. Then later in the episode, when Stannis, uh, my man Stannis and Davos are talking uh, about what maybe he wants uh, Davos to do uh, uh, with uh, Melisandre and, and Renly, uh, he says, cleaner ways don't win wars. So exactly to your point, uh, the realities of war are really on display here in this show mm-hmm. about war. And they both do it. Uh, they both try to get that lesson across to their uh, respected people at the moment. But they are, like I said, they're on two different spectrums. What Roose Bolton means is not what Stannis means. Yeah. And you know, as we find out in the climax of the episode. Yeah. But yeah, it's real. It's just interesting that we start the episode, uh, what more or less, start it with Roose talking to Rob and letting him know, yeah. High road is uh, hard to climb and uh, it's not how you uh, win wars. And then all the way over at the end of the episode with Stannis going clean's not the way to do it. Clean doesn't win wars. This is, this is the way. And yeah, this, this is the way, uh, the, the idea, cause the show, um, one of the first things here is uh, this, in this episode, 
is uh, Rob's victory in that great kind of fun sequence with the two Lannister oh. soldiers in the rain. And did you hear something in the wolf? You know, and it's a budget saver. You know, you don't need to show a, <laughs> a big fight if you just got that great sequence. Great sequence. But it's still so cool. Still so cool. It's a great shot of Rob, too. I love that mm-hmm. shot of, of him kind of over uh, over his horse's head as, as his uh, wolf as Grey Wind goes in. But so so to me, this plays on this uh, in, into your theme here, Mark. Uh, you know, that's a... That's a a hero. We're rooting for Rob. It's a victory. Mm-hmm. We love that he's getting these victories. Is he, you know, stuff? Uh, stuff the stuff he says with Jamie Lannister. You know, ah, three. You know, three victories don't make you a conqueror. Ah, but the, you know, um, better than three defeats. Better than three defeats. Thank you. Um, but to follow that up with, okay, this is what we want. We want him to win. We want the and the the realities of what he just did. Really. Yeah. Which we're aware of, but it's now it's it's in his face, it's in our face, and the tough choices that follow. It's the seeing it. It's the seeing it firsthand is is what really sort of changes things. Like, mm. oh, that's what war looks like. Yeah, no, not pretty. Don't like that. Yeah, and and look, Rob is. I, I mean, I, I I guess I I'd say right. Or good or better, you know. We're not. We don't. We know we don't like Roos. I love Stannis, but a lot of people don't love Stannis. Rob's doing <laughs> maybe what you would think. Think I'm putting quotations around that. Think Ned Stark would do. Uh, DB Weiss kind of says Rob's the Geneva Convention kind of guy in this scenario. So we we'd say that's uh, right, yeah. but is it right for this world? And, and well, I think that's the ultimate lesson, isn't it? Mm. You know, especially when we know where this war goes. Yeah. Uh, the beauty of hindsight, of course. But yeah, it's uh, he's trying. I think to be as honorable as he thinks his father would be. But as we know now, again, the hindsight thing, yeah. as we know now, the the rebellion wasn't pretty. The rebellion yeah. wasn't nice. And Ned did things he's not proud of. And that's why he doesn't talk about certain things. And yeah. uh, the only, the only reason we're privy is because, you know, someone in their third eye. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, exactly. You, you, you invoke the, the tower, of the hand reveal later on, to Bran, that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, can't wait to get to that moment when we review that episode. But yeah, like, yeah, Bran kind of going, wait, 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 wait a minute. I always heard dad kicked ass. Dad would have died yeah. if not for Alan Reed. What? And, and uh, you know, uh, history is written by the victors, all those kind of uh, bumper sticker statements you can throw out there. But I, I think it does tie into this. That's why this kind of theme, the realities of uh, and the true stories and the true the true way to uh, the true path to victory might, might be a little messy. Yeah. And this is, you know, Rob's first and ultimately only war so yeah he's got no wartime experience he doesn't know like the reality of war he's being hit in the face with it yeah as we are seeing it let me ask you here in this moment we would be remiss if we didn't spend some time with uh talisa i i think Mm -hmm. i enjoy her as a character i enjoy her presence it is a dramatic change from the book at this point i didn't know the that difference you did and a lot of people did I think I still say one of the reasons I love season two so much is I think it's just a really good edit down of Clash of Kings, which doesn't mean I think Clash of Kings is a bad book. But you read Clash mm-hmm. of Kings, particularly after watching the season first, you're like, oh, they just kind of made it kind of a, a simpler through line through a lot of things. Yeah. I love the addition to Lisa. What say you, sir, about Talisa? Hot take. <laughs> Talisa is a way more interesting character. Than, uh, Jane Westerling. Sorry. I'm yeah. sorry out there, but I just, that's just how I feel. And maybe a lot of that has to do with the fact that she's written a certain way that mm-hmm. Una Chaplin plays her yeah. with such heart. And I honestly feel like 
it's cool that we're bringing in, uh, as they say, a foreigner because yeah. she's from Volantis. Right. We're bringing in a foreigner into Westeros. She is knee deep in war, you know, uh, uh, sawing off men's appendages. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm, I think I said that word right. I don't know. Yeah, you good. Uh, sawing? <laughs> yeah, you said sign. Perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course, we, we get to learn more about her later and a little bit of her yeah. backstory. And But I just, I think that's just a, a way more interesting yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. story point to change. Uh, no, no disrespect to Jane Westerling in the books at all, but ultimately, I don't know. I just, I felt, I just felt more connected to it, Talisa. Yeah, I mean, it's it sets up some real pain in season three with what's going to happen to her. We know that, yeah. but 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, Rob not being a, a point of view character in the books is is a choice George made. The show couldn't do that, and and it Rob's in front of you, and you can't just cut away every time Rob's going to do something. So I think you needed to see that love, anyways. This he's breaking mm-hmm. a vow, and, and I, I I think it it plays a little differently in the books. At, le- at least I did upon reading. Again, not not here to dive deep into books or, or criticize the books because no. hell, I love them, and George finished them. That's our statement here. George, finish him. That's the world statement. Please. But please. yeah, Rob goes off, comes back, breaks his vow. All right, here we get to feel it. We get to live it. And it's, uh, they, they, I, I like the choice uh, uh, for Talisa and Una Chaplin. Uh, hey, if you're in the Chaplin family of acting, I guess, I guess you're going to be good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a prerequisite. It has to be. So that's a great theme. Anything else uh, you want? I, I have some here, but I'd love to hear uh, what other uh, things jumped out at you. Just the one thing from that scene uh, that ties into something that happens immediately after uh, mm-hmm. concerning what Roose Bolton says and is implied that he does. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that by Roose Bolton, you know, the, the House Bolton is the flayed man. That's their sigil. They got right. the flayed man. And uh, Roose lets Rob know, you know, uh, in my house, we say uh, a naked man has few secrets, a flayed man, none. Yeah. Implying that, you know, you peel the skin off somebody, they're going to tell you anything you want. And Rob's like, no, 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 that's outlawed. Don't do that. And he's like, we don't do that in the North. Like, we're not in the North. Yeah. And that cuts to uh, a scene like immediately afterwards mm-hmm. when uh, with Lancel Lannister uh, yeah. giving us the business. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, talk about things that mean more. It's so funny because it's all right there in front of you with Roos kind of saying it, and I and I remember not being sure who Ramsey was initially because again I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm behind the books uh, at the time, and uh, my friend knew, and, and and she just kept trying to like think about it, think about it. I'm like I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know who it is. It's like you go back to this episode, like oh yeah, Roos, oh yep, how did I miss that? How yep. did I miss that? Which is why we're still even now going back into the themes. But it's still, you know, it's, yeah, it's easy to see all that in hindsight. But at the time, you're just kind of like, no, I don't know. I don't know. This show's still got me by uh, yeah. holding me back just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fun there. So, okay. I uh, hear some of the ones I'm working with here for themes and lessons from this episode. Some things that jumped out to me. There is, uh, you said the realities of war. I also got to say this whole season is Clash of Kings, uh, as we know. And uh, episode one does such mm-hmm. a great job of setting up the players. Balon's a little off to the side, we know, but he's part of it. But you set up this early season, here's the players, and here's how they rule. And this episode really goes into the wrong way to rule. We have Joffrey torturing Sansa, uh, pointing the crossbow at her, Tyrion interrupting that. Uh, And then, uh, interesting enough, Tyrion would hate to say he's like his father, uh, but 
uh, Tywin showing up at Harrenhal and interrupting the torture there to start to start the great mm-hmm. stuff with him and Arya. But uh, them knowing how to rule, uh, and there's some more stuff there. But what uh, what do you think about uh, this idea of uh, a lot of things on display about how you rule being uh, more important at times? It means that I think w- with the demonstration, and it's, it's awesome that you just pointed that out. I hadn't thought about that with Tywin doing pretty much the same thing Tyrion does. Yeah, like it father, just goes like to son. show you they don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit it, but they, they're, they're they're related. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. But I mean, it just goes to show you, you rule with your brain, not your emotions, you know, uh, which is something Robert never did. Yeah. Obviously, the Mad King didn't rule with his brain, uh, you know, and then mm-hmm. if you're privy to, uh, you know, f- fire and blood, you know, you, there's yeah. all sorts of Targaryen kings that ruled through passion, not not their wits, not their yeah. brains. And this is... Uh, Tywin and Tyrion, as you say, they're more alike than they dare admit to one another. And yeah. this is a demonstration of that. Yeah. And, and, and from this theme uh, and, and lesson, the wrong way to rule, it, it flows down into two other kind of sub themes, if you will, uh, that are, that I see popping up in this episode. It's the art of the deal and the idea of compromise. Uh, we mm-hmm. start getting some of it uh, and, and some of it works and some of it doesn't. Uh, and going back to like the the wrong way to rule, it's addressed directly with Renly when, in, in the great parlay scene, peaches or not, though we do have a peach in the episode, just not at the parlay. Uh, <laughs> Renly says to Stannis, you know, a man without friends is a man without power. And, and that cuts me. I'm a Stannis guy, as you all know, but I, I think I love Stannis more for the lessons I learned from him than just what he does. Uh, it, it's it's vitally important. Renly's right. He would have been a, a, a damn good king if he got the chance for all those reasons. And it's because he probably knew how to rule the people, mm. with the people, for the people, by the people. And Stannis was just going to, uh, as honorable as he was at times, I, I understand people can uh, take shots at Stannis over that. But uh, that to me is really flows into the other things there. But your thoughts on uh, Renly, the parlay, and what he's saying to Stannis? I mean, Renly kind of owns, uh, forgive me again, Renly kind of owns Stannis in that uh, in that parlay a little bit because he does. He lays out the harsh truths. Like, you never wanted friends. Mm-hmm. A man without friends has no power. Uh, you know, the whole realm denies your uh, right as king. Like, from Dorne to the Wall. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, what does he say? The, the old men dying yeah. uh, deny it and the, baby, the unborn babies in the womb. It's just like, nobody wants you for their king and he's not wrong. Nobody yeah. does. That's why there's nobody is all up in arms about Joffrey's uh, illegitimacy. Yeah, because they're like, well, if not Joffrey, then it's got to be Stannis. We don't want Stannis. Yeah, and uh, the the people they only they don't know Joffrey the way we the audience know Joffrey. They right. just see him as like, well, he, he's just a young king. He'll he'll get his footing. You know, yeah. Like Stannis, no fie on that. It's like you're. <laughs> Yeah. And and I think a little part of Stannis even knows that when Renly's saying it to him, but he'll never show you. He'll never he'll well, never show his his hand. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Look, our our pal Eric Moreau, uh, you know, uh, is the biggest Stannis fan alongside me, and and uh, I. Um, <laughs> I got to say, I think you're very right, Mark. And I think this parlay, uh, you know, it has the, it has the Stannis line of Stannis lines for me, which is the Iron Throne is mine by right, which is something I believe, believe. Do I think he would have been the best king? No, but I'm fascinated by the, the prodigal son brother's idea. It's something I've been talking about all season of 
he did everything that's asked for and he didn't get what he felt he deserved. He didn't get respected. So now he wants to take it. But he knows even at the end of the day, even if it is his right, Renly is just apps. That speech, which ends in the no one wants you for their king, which just mm-hmm. uh, Geth and Anthony and he is so good in this scene. I think that spurns Stannis to make even more decisions. The cleaner ways don't win the war, and the cleaner way is not going to get him on that throne. And he knows it. And that starts the slippery slope, I think, already with what's going on with Melisandre um, and him breaking his marriage vow with her. He is now starting to slide because, to your point, Mark, he knows Renly's right. Yeah, he does. And it's... You may be, you may have something there with uh, no one wants you for the king, and there's a quick shot to Stannis, you know, in his poker face. <laughs> but I think even b- behind those eyes, though, yeah. he's just going like, you know, maybe that shadow baby's not on standby. In fact, I think uh, tonight I will unleash because yeah. he's just so like just the anger behind the eyes, and he and he tries, yeah. he tries so hard with a, you know what. For the sake of the mother that that bore us, you know, it's it's all good. Yeah. But then he ends it with like, "You don't kneel, I'll destroy you." That's my yeah. favorite Stannis line. He's the only one that goes like, "They'll bend the knee, or I'll destroy them." Yeah. Like he's, it's not even so much that I'll put you down, I'll uh, make you kneel, mm. I'll destroy you. I, I mean, I love this. I mean, the the scene it's it's full of of great moments, and even Catelyn kind of coming in, going, "You're both being fools. This is not for the good mm-hmm. of the realm." But even Stannis going, I find it odd that you're on that side. You know, now you hear hear uh, to chastise me as he says it. Uh, no, uh, even his delivery of uh, "We'll we shall see, Renly. Come the dawn, we shall see. Come the dawn, we shall see." And, and That's th- actually one of my favorite moments. Is yeah. the fact that he questions, like, why are you over there? Like, yeah. you're supposed to be here. It's because of Ned that you know he supported my claim like that's why i'm here is because of what ned did yeah you should be on my side and instead you're over there with you know the boy my brother that just called me a ham yeah which is a funny line <laughs> uh oh, renley's humor is great this yeah no i think that that that, that probably is pokes, pokes at him too like my claim your husband believed in my claim but now you're not even supporting that claim like it's slip slip sliding mm-hmm. away from me uh and i love uh you know now we're just well, i'll get back to some of the the lessons here and the themes but Melisandre, I think that's one of the more chilling, uh, the night is dark and full of terrors. Look to your sins, Lord Renly, for the night is dark and full of terror. Uh, especially, you know, knowing what's coming. But it's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, she, uh, she, uh, she is a knight uh, uh, in ways, as she says. And she says, has some good threats. That one's one of the more, it's not fun and cute in that moment for me. Oh, no, nothing. Could, and you, you even see, she has a moment where even she looks frustrated, like, okay, do, mm-hmm. am I, I need to sick this shadow baby on you now. <laughs> like, she just has this eye roll moment when Rinley's talking. is like, yeah. uh-oh, don't, don't make her mad right now, dude. It, it might be her in a way, you know, I think frustrated, but also like, look, you know, who knows the off-camera conversations she's having with Stannis after this parlay of like, look, I told you, this is the reality of the war you're in. We got to do what we got to do because it ain't going to happen any other way. Mm-hmm. I think it took I think there's a, a very long, long conversation. I wish we just could be flies on mm-hmm. the not wall, but I guess the tent to tent. Uh, just yeah, the tents just to hear because you're right. I, I think yeah. they they did have a conversation and I think she did yeah. sway her uh, her words, her word magic in his ear and go like, you know what? Yeah. This is the way we got to do this because he obviously is not going to kneel. And, you know, yeah. he's yep. Stannis is. He's willing to believe. I'll tell you something, Ken. I yeah. was never a huge Stannis fan, but I understood his I'm plight. I'm brokenhearted. This rewatch is changing me. Okay. Yeah, like I the the rewatch is slowly changing me and I'm going, "You know what? I think, you know, 
despite what happens later mm-hmm. and, you know, his bad decisions, I think I'm on board team Stannis, man. I think hey. especially, especially this season, he, he is just trying to claim what is his. Yeah. He is trying to do this as peacefully yeah. as he can. Nobody is letting him do it peacefully. So he's got to take extreme measures. Yeah. Uh, he is our introduction to more crazy magic in the world that we had yet not seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, yeah, I, everything about Stannis's, yeah, uh, arc, especially in season two, which is why you mm-hmm. love it so much. And I get it. I completely get it. I get it. Look, and, 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 uh, in listening to like the extras, DB Weiss says plainly, cause I think Stannis would have been a horrible King. I, I don't think it's wrong. However, I'm not just saying hey, it's an easy, uh, you know, easy win comparing Stannis to Joffrey, but I just think even, even to Robert, I think, I, I'm so intrigued by Davos and mm-hmm. one of the other themes of this episode, the big question that actually comes out of one of my favorite quotes, jumping to the end of the episode. And this is what we do, folks. We follow the themes and we jump around. We're not doing scene by scene breakdowns here, but going to the end when Davos is smuggling uh, uh, Melisandre aboard, she's having that uh, on shore, I should say, and she's having that great conversation uh, about uh, are you good and are you a good man and uh, I'm 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 mm. mixed parts which is it's interesting because Game of Thrones uh, the whole s- series and and the book series of course with George R. R. Martin we absolutely play around with the gray areas we love it oh yeah we love it and the show does have that you look at Jamie Lannister mm-hmm. one way and 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 he goes another way but I think at the core to me it's very Jedi like it's why I do not like the term gray Jedi in Star Wars you either go to the light or you go to the dark <laughs> it's 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 and, and and the pathway there might be uh, full of choices and different decisions that you make along the way but I think Melisandre is so right and in this episode and this season that's talking about how to rule and the rulers on the field of play or the field of war uh, if an onion is is black with rot, it's a rotten onion. A man is good, or is he or he is evil? Uh, you know, and that's kind of weird coming yeah. from Melisandre because a few seconds later, Davos as a, says, uh, "Strange that this <laughs> Lord of Light asks you to work in the shadows," which means you know she's not exactly saying the mm-hmm. truth about herself, or is she? I don't know. Again, I think destiny takes you on a path to choose, and you yeah. can you can knock it either direction. But I I really think at the end of the day, this show is commenting on. Uh, what Melisandre is saying, I would argue, Jamie is not a half rotten onion. Uh, he is a he's a good onion. He gets there, mm-hmm. and he still maybe even loses it, but he's still a good person at, at the end of the day. But anyways, it's a deeper conversation, one that I, I just was really interested to see it highlighted here in a great, uh, great yeah, line. yeah. I think I think uh, the entire show is full of moments like that where we we get a dialogue discussing look. It's not not everything is black and white. Not everything is going to be this or this based on what yeah. what is predetermined. You know, it yeah. is it is everything happens based on the choices we make. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's a you know difficult choice. If it's bad or it's good. Yeah. And I yeah, I, I love I love that. Yeah. Of all people, Melisandre, you're right. That just uh, is the one to have this yeah. sort of moral high ground, if yeah. you will. Well, look, it's, 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 I keep going back to the idea of Jon Snow is, is the boy who would be king. And that's this kind of mm-hmm. trope and it's a destiny thing. And yeah. And then he, he, he goes against that. He chooses against that. Uh, but he remains good. Anyways, it's, it's a fascinating conversation, but there's more stuff here. And I, we got to get some great Daenerys stuff here. But, uh, the themes I have the wrong way, uh, the wrong way to rule, which leads into this idea of the art of the deal and compromise. A lot of deals and compromises made or not made. You learn from some maybe, uh, 
you know, I always say compromise gets a bad rap as a word. It's it mm-hmm. feels like a loss when really it's a pathway forward. Uh, but um, when you compromise yourself, maybe that's where you start to lose or you start to make the mistakes and, and you try to make these deals. And the art of the deals on display. So we got Baelish and Renly. We got Baelish mm-hmm. and Catlin. Um, we got Baelish and Marjorie. Uh, they're they're starting to work it out. Zaro Zohan, hit, yeah. yeah, Zaro Zohan Doxis starts making a deal, uh, declaring mm-hmm. uh, what Sumai Tyrion, knowing how to rule uh, a, 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 in a popular way, but also knowing how to rule in a back channel way with Lancel, cuts a deal mm-hmm. with him. And even when he tells Sansa at the beginning, after he saves Sansa from that uh, brutality there. Uh, and she plays the game, and he says, Sansa, Sansa Tark, you, you, you may survive us yet. Um, to me, it's her making a deal with the whole game itself, even though she's not fully in control of her, her path right now. So all yeah, that's there. I'm dumping a lot onto the Scrabble board of themes here, Mark, I know. But anything grab you there? What do you think about these players trying to make deals here in the game? I mean, it's uh, kind of back to what you were talking about uh with uh f- foreshadowing obviously foreshadowing yeah. uh, especially where Baelish is concerned that's what Baelish does yeah. you know he he's not going to go in himself uh with the one exception of holding the knife to Ned's throat you know yeah. I did warn you not to trust me Great. that's it everything else is just a scheming and 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 you know yeah uh, making the deal, compromising, uh, laying little hints here and there, uh, side deals. This mm-hmm. is the beginning of where uh, Catelyn's journey takes her. Yeah. Uh, and was it a good thing or was it not uh, to mm. go against her son's wishes? You know, the king in the north. She basically uh, committed treason. Yeah. And, you know, but... D- was that for the greater good? Was that for selfish reasons? It's easy to say selfish because she's yeah. thinking about her kids. She's thinking about her daughters. Right. But but w- wouldn't we do the same in that situation if given the chance, if you saw no other way around it, despite what, uh, you know, the political game, despite, uh, you know, the politics involved? Yeah. I don't know. But you're right. Yeah. Um and then uh, the, <laughs> I actually, I, I like you brought up the uh, invoking of uh, Sumai. Yeah. Um, which is not a book thing. Uh, I had to right. go back and look look for that. I said, I did they do that in the book? No, they yeah. didn't. Uh, and that is an interesting thing. I wish we could spend more time on whatever the yeah. consequences be yeah. of uh, invoking Sumai. But whatever, you're right. Uh, that's, that's another deal. Deals abound. And of yeah. course, Tyrion being... Tyrion being Tyrion. Tyrion being Tyrion and trying to make a deal. And I think there's a bit of a, um, when I say compromise, sometimes, again, I, th- I think compromise should generally, it just in real life, not just Game of Thrones, be considered a, a good thing and not, uh, like I said, not always feel like a defeat. I understand sometimes it does and sometimes it is. But mm. uh, Tyrion, um, I think he tries to make a, 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 a deal with Joffrey in a way, with Bronn kind of pointing out like, hey, I think he's just backed up, right? Uh, so the Roz and, and Daisy scene, which is, you know, uh, you know violent Ooh. and uncomfortable and brutal. And I think that's Tyrion trying, not not to an olive branch, but just like trying to like, let me let me make a little deal here with Joffrey and see if I can control him, see if I can get him on board. And, and it goes obviously goes awry. And that's part of uh, there's some compromises here that Rob, to me, is compromising. I guess I'm using it in a bad. I'm going against my own words here, Mark. I'm saying it compromised in a bad way. <laughs> Um, uh, just, uh, go the Talisa thing, uh, where it's, it's right, right. There's no shock. There's no surprise. The moment you see Ona Chaplin blood all over her face, cutting a leg, you're like, Rob's vows done for. 
Um, so a lot of the it just keeps lingering on her. Yeah, yeah. A lot <laughs> of the, it's like yep. Summer breeze happens so fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know these compromises are leading there to the you know some problems and some downfalls even. And Stanley, Stan, uh, Stanley, Stannis, and Renly, uh, mm-hmm. unable to compromise uh, nope. at the parlay is, is is a problem as well. So that's there too. We haven't uh, we haven't got to Danny yet, and Mark, I want to get to the walls of Carth, the greatest city that ever was. Ooh, ever we must. Be. I love this sequence, and and I've uh, read uh, in the in the great book, uh, Fire Cannot Kill Dragon. Uh, I recommend you all check that out from James Hibbert, EW. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, Mark, but uh, there's some not great- yet. But you keep recommending it, so it's, it's going to happen. And I get no sales from it. No, I don't even know James Hibbert. I don't even know. I really love it because it, it's this oral history, and you get some great stuff. And some of it's previously published interviews and everything. I understand, but it's just the way it's framed. Amelia Clark. Uh, Saying uh, her, Danny in season two was it was an odd play for her, and Millie Clark personally was coming off of the uh, the brain injury that she had suffered, mm. uh, that she had kept secret for so long. Uh, it was a different season; she was just getting back to that. But but that uh, Danny and Carth, it, 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 I'm not saying I don't want to put words in her mouth. It just it wasn't her favorite. Just it, she had a little trouble playing her, finding finding the way to play Danny. But I got to say, yeah. she does a great job because I I love a lot of the things Danny goes through in season two and it begins to me really picks up right here at the walls of Carth. I just want to get your overall thoughts, not even worried about the book version versus show version, but just sure, sure. Carth and, and Danny and, and her path that begins right here. What do you think about it? She has found herself back in the dire straits. And even yeah. so growing up on the run, mm-hmm. the, her dire straits weren't, let's say that dire because oh, right. you know, they had, Magister Illyrio mm-hmm. uh, looking after her and, and her brother. And so he was, she he was, was nice to her. Her brother was totally nice, right? Well, well anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll gloss over that. But, uh, but the point is she, she, uh, as far as her surroundings, now she's gotten a taste of being a uh, queen or Khaleesi, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, she, she has gained some power that she's yeah. never had before. And now now we find her just slumming through the red waste of what's left of yeah. uh, the Kalazar that joined her, and here she are. Here she is at this uh, at this gate. Yeah, told yeah. that she's going to be welcome in based on the fact that she is a Targaryen. And what's that? You have dragons. Yeah, the hell you say. Let's see those dragons. And uh, and she just, I can understand her frustration. Um, yeah. but I think, but I think this is also a test in her, uh, in her metal, I guess you mm. want to say just, yeah. they're testing her because they want to know, I guess they want to see where she sizes up as not, mm. not, not, not a woman per se, but just as an individual, because right. they've heard stories, you know, she's the wife of a cow. She's a Targaryen. Now she's got dragons like, okay, what kind of person are we dealing with here? And yeah. she's got to. And they're not being nice. They're yeah. like they're not holding no. any. Uh, the Spice King, anyway, is yeah. not holding back punches. He's demeaning. He's he's very uh, uh, condescending. <laughs> like in the oh, and he has a punchable face. It's yeah. so but uh, so punchable. I gotta tell you, well, we always t- talk about the episode stars, the actors who we just uh, want to highlight. Uh, Geth and Anthony for me is Renly in this episode is great, but Nicholas Blaine is the spice trader, the trader, a humble trader of spices. He's everything you just described, and he's so great mm-hmm. at it. He's so yes. I love every scene he's in. 
uh, we were uh, Grace and I were watching it, and she's the same thing. She's like, I hate this guy. I'm like, I know, and it's the point, and I love it. He's so good, exactly. And his he really is his cadence and the way he speaks, everything is so great. Um, and and there's some truth. And I'm not saying he's a good man uh, based on Melisandre's thing, but but to to follow uh, build on what you're saying here, actually, I think it's it's great, Mark. Um, Danny obviously ends season two with some problems, the death, death of Khal Drago, a deal gone wrong there with Miriam Asdor and some valuable lessons there. But she does end to me, it is, if it's not a, a, an actual literal position of power, it's a feeling of power and a a feeling of destiny. And I'm on this. And if, if you listen to me on Force Center, you're probably tired of me talking about this. If you listen to me here in Game of Thrones, you're probably tired of me talking about it here on Casually Talk. I think destiny is a word that gets tossed around and a word that is almost intentionally misunderstood by the stories. That uh, this idea that you are, again, the boy who would be king or the girl who would be queen, and then that's the end of the journey. You got it. Everything from here, you you that is your destiny and it's going to happen. You have to make these choices. Danny mm. walks into the fire, comes out with the dragons. She is who she felt she was, the mother of dragons, the unburnt. It's amazing. She is everything she feels she is. And now she has to go actually deal with that in the real world. And here is, at the, uh, she's on death's door, literally. Uh, they're saved here. And you got the spice trader just being like, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Your child of destiny. That's great. Not in my city. Bye-bye. <laughs> yes, and like, uh, do you have dragons or not? I I, I don't, mm, we're, we're yeah. skeptical. I don't think you're a liar. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, geez. But as I do not know you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so that's to me is one of the big lessons for Danny and, and for us as we're watching her. Cause uh, Danny is, it's a character I, 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 I root for up until the very end. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of the point of what the story is around Danny. Uh, and Danny, to me, I, I wrote down that she runs into opposition, runs into the opposition for what she really believes that she is. And, 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 and again, in some ways, I think she is that. But you have to then choose what to do with that destiny or that power. Right. And she is literally up against the wall here. And it's a first big valuable lesson. Well, I'm going to say Kyle Drogo, Mary Mazdul, her is her first big valuable yeah, lesson. That's a real big one. <laughs> but this is a new lesson for really what's going forward with Danny. All that yeah. got her to this point, you know? Yeah. And look, the name of the show is Game of Thrones. And we follow these characters playing the game. Danny never once has played it. And when she has tried to play it, it does not work because yeah. she is not a, that's not her game. Her yeah. game, it, she's a conqueror. Uh, I mean, she gets called that time and time again throughout the show. In this moment, Mm -hmm. we get to see her. Had she just even Sir Jorah, your boy, your boy, Sir Jorah Mormon, he even says, please be careful because he knows she's going to blow up. He knows she's going to do something wrong. And that could be the Mm -hmm. they could be added to the Garden of Bones. Yeah. Uh, But Mm -hmm. that that in in that moment of meeting the 13, Mm -hmm. she could she could have phrased and said a whole bunch of different things. She could have played to uh, yeah. played the game, their game. And they would have welcomed, welcomed her in with open arms and no one would have been the wiser, whatever. Yeah. She didn't do that. She, she refused to do that. And, um, and yeah, she got inside anyway, but through other circumstances. But the but, point is yeah. in that moment, she demonstrates she is not going to play the game the way everyone else does. She's mm-hmm. going to do it this way. She's going to take what she wants with fire and blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, she even threatens to 
uh, what did she say? Burn cities? And she said, <laughs> I will like, burn hmm. cities to the ground. Amelia Clark is so great. I want to jump in here yeah. because you're saying some great stuff. Um, I always say, you know, long going season one, Danny is is put into positions uh, where she cannot control what's going on, uh, including mm-hmm. uh, the rape on her marriage night. And she tries to fight up against that. She, she with her brother and her being under the thumb of her brother, under the thumb of her brother's destiny. And, and, and I think Danny constantly, particularly in season one, wants to take control of herself. It's powerful, yes. which is why so many people got pulled in uh, to the Daenerys Targaryen character as portrayed on the show and in the books as well, but as portrayed on the show, as you should. There's great inspiration to take from it. And nothing that happens in the show going forward should take away any inspiration you feel from Danny, is what I something I say all nope. the time. But uh, to, to move that forward, uh, uh, you're talking about things that I think we're talking about in this episode. The wrong way to rule. Uh, the art of the deal. Compromise. She does get into Garth, but she now mm-hmm. is back in a position where she's under the thumb of someone else. She has to compromise. Yeah. Again, maybe using it in a bad... Maybe I can think of another word. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to win back compromise as a good thing, but maybe it's a real-world <laughs> conversation. But, you know, she, she, Zara Zohandaksis is now in control of the situation. And we, mm-hmm. we, you and I, the audience, we are like, oh, we like this guy. We like this guy. He's standing up for our girl. And we l- really love it. And look what happens. And she, I think, at the end of this season, jumping ahead, is now like, I'm never letting that happen. I will, I fire and blood. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, is she, uh, right away, I think we, we shouldn't trust Zara and Doxos. I mean, like, I mean, obviously we know now, like, of yeah, course not. Now, but, but even in that moment, though, it's like he just willingly, yeah. Cuts his hand open and, you know, invoking a Sumai, <laughs> a blood oath. It's like, boom, it's be it on my head. Yeah. Which is interesting because, you know, yeah, uh, be it on his head. It was, it's his fault. She got inside. It's his fault. The 13, you yeah. know, yep. bad things happened to them. Uh, so I yeah. found that one really, really interesting. But even right away, I go, ah, this is this shady individual. As yeah. a, Even as I'm reading the book, going like, I don't know who this guy is, yeah. but I don't know if I like him. Yeah, and even though even though the ending plays out a little differently in the book, yeah, yeah, it's still, yeah, he, yeah. He, he's on the hook for things he's done here. Yeah, uh, so we'll start transitioning into the foreshadowing of things we love more as we wrap up the thing. But I am fastinated by Danny in in Karth, um, from, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the reasons I do love this season. It is it is it is a Danny that can't get her way. Uh, I don't mean that in like she's a uh, you know a, a pouting uh, Veruca Salt type. I don't mean that, but she she's constantly <laughs> like. I have dragons. I have my name. I have destiny behind me, and it, mostly the spice trader. But everyone else just kind of like, yeah, sure, great, cool. Not not here, or you know, Piat Pri and all everything that's going on. And she and she, it, it, she to me emerges from Karth stronger. And what's mm-hmm. I think maybe that's why, as a fan of Danny, uh, uh, I do I do like the the Karth arc because she learns valuable and she does even tell we're jumping ahead but she tells zara that you know thank you for the nice lesson get in yeah yeah get in there it's true (laughs) but Uh, but i mean to your point though she uh uh oh i had a point there whoops uh, lost it but there you go but yes everything everything you say i echo (laughs) it's a good uh, points being lost uh is uh is just a sign of sign of life (laughs) sign of podcast when you talk so much uh, let's move into some foreshadowing. We, we talked a lot about it here. We talked about Roose Bolton not happy with the prisoners. And, you know, he's uh, he's one of Rob's bannermen. And, and I think we are just 
even after the death of Ned Stark, you're still watching the show with that classic sense of, oh, he's on our team. We like this guy. Uh, but the answer is right in front of you with Roos, right from the start. You mm-hmm. should have been like, and maybe some people were, but you should have been like, nah, something off of that cat, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's like he's did he just say flaying men like whoa, 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 what's what's happening and if you're not paying attention uh you don't even see his sigil uh all that much yes. it, the the flayed man sigil is not very prominent until later yeah uh so but had you seen that right away you go like oh what's yep. this dude's problem well not too not too long after this he's gonna be telling uh rob let me send my bastard up to winterfell so there he goes that means more to me uh, I also have, uh, you know, the Roz scene, the Roz and Daisy scene, we obviously it means more now with how we how Roz uh, dies, but also just, this, I consider this just, Joffrey is past the breaking point here. We already kind of mm-hmm. know, we already don't like him, but Tyrion comes back in town and you get a sense, you know, early on, especially at the name day ceremony, he's got Joffrey, he can control Joffrey. And at the be- at beginning of this episode, he stops Joffrey from torturing Sansa. So Tyrion, uh, Tyrion's got it. And this trick, this play does not work for Tyrion. And Joffrey is, to me, on the path. that can, There's no coming back now. It's kind of like what we talked about with Daenerys and how she, uh, the word of the day or the word of the evening is compromise. Yeah. Uh, she does not until yeah. it's made for her. Uh, Joffrey mm-hmm. does not compromise. Um, and we get the best line, I think. Uh, it's, it's one of the lines I love in the show, but also just in life from Bronn. Sometimes there's just no cure for being a cunt. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. Oh, Jerome Flynn, so good. Uh, so some, uh, I got a couple more, but here, what are some of your other moments, uh, some foreshadowing or just things that just mean more upon rewatch, even the sweet sentimental things? I mean, we get the, uh, uh, this is our first glimpse into Harrenhal, the the legendary uh, Harrenhal, yeah. the stronghold that is still standing and still smoking from the dragon fire of so yeah. many years ago. Yep. Uh, and this is the first time, and I, I realize we spend a lot of time in Harrenhal throughout uh, the mm-hmm. seasons two and three, yep. and uh, mm-hmm. I I think just two and three. But uh, but there's a lot there, there's a lot happening in Harrenhal. So much so that there were times where I was thinking, are we ever going to change locations here? Right. Like, are they going to get out of this castle? And then yeah. uh, eventually they do. The but then we go back to it and go, okay, we're just gonna well, <laughs> just I, stay with this rotting. Yeah, old. I. I love so much the stuff in Harrenhal, but I, and yeah, every time this, this episode of season two rolls around and on any rewatch I do, I'm like, Oh God, it's going to get dark and drab. We are going to Harrenhal. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. But again, I love some of the stuff, the time and Arya stuff, some of my favorite in the show. We, we can't wait to get to that even starting. Next yeah. Week. That's the, the setup for what will be the, the mm-hmm. Arya and Tywin stuff, which uh, again, you guys, uh, not in the books. Not in the books. Uh, I love, I love screaming that at people because they're just like, yeah. And they have their comments. Uh, there's that. And uh, I still, at the very beginning, the the beginning of the legend of the young wolf, Rob, you know, yeah. and they say, oh, they say he can turn into a dire wolf. And we, we kind of get a glimpse of yeah. sending Grey Wynn into the front lines to take out the, the guards and the knight, whatever. We get a moment with Lancel screaming at Sansa about, uh, it's like, your brother brought on like a hundred wolves onto and killed a thousand of our men. And then uh, they were eating the flesh off of the dead bodies, which to me said, oh, okay, Roos went ahead and flayed people anyway. 
That's what that's all yeah, about. Yeah. Well, okay. Yes, you're absolutely right. I, I've, I've always thought that too. But I love by that scene where Lance Lannister's Lannister, uh, going off, and, and there's like the ladies at court going like, oh, and they're making yeah. these big uh, extra faces. Um, no, I think that's great. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, it does kind of uh, when you sink up the pieces, like oh, Roos, just flaying mm. people like it don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as a as an enthusiast of House Baratheon, I got to say this one is pretty Baratheon heavy. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's sadly. Or maybe not. Sadly, I don't know. The only time we get uh, Stannis and Rinley kind of in the in the yeah. same room having a having a chit chat yeah. after this, not so much. Yeah, but uh, but you know, I I like that. More Baratheons, the better. I absolutely agree with that. I, I I like House Baratheon is a troubled house, but I like all the all the characters inside <laughs> there. I really do. Justice for King Robert. Yeah. We try it over here, even though you know yeah. made some mistakes. And my love of Stannis. <laughs> confuses and confounds many people here. Uh, one of the ones uh, I want to talk about here, I want, I want to get your thoughts on this, um, Baelish and Cat, And we see him mm-hmm. sh- show up and kind of give her uh, an offer that's to her, not to Rob, because he knows mm-hmm. Rob wouldn't do this. He knows it is something that Catelyn would go for, Jamie for the girls. Um, and, and it comes, you know, comes from Tyrion, but, 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 but Baelish knows how to get across. But what I love about this, and we can talk about what that means too, but he... Baelish, particularly in the stuff we've seen so far, him and Renly in this episode, and uh, the great Marjorie, and, and what I think is the best Marjorie dress around, the uh, queen of uh, playing cards dress, I call it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's all that stuff, and, and, he, and he's Baelish. He's Baelish through and through. This is one of the first times, you, to me, you see him lose control uh, around Cap, mm. where he's pleading, he's begging. He really has feelings for her, really... Um, you know, and, and season one, there's might be little moments I get, it, but he he kind of breaks breaks a kayfabe, if you will, if you're a wrestling fan, um, uh, breaks oh, yeah, the facade. Yeah. The facade comes down, and to me, this foreshadows uh, directly or indirectly it doesn't matter. It just foreshadows his eventual undoing because he couldn't with some of the stuff with Sansa and Arya. He just couldn't factor in, and he, and he lost control. Maybe some of his feelings uh, for Sansa or just the situation overall. Mm-hmm. He literally reverts back to uh, Littlefinger Peter. That uh, you know, Catelyn yep. used to know so many, right. so many years ago. He even he even has that moment where he tries. He said, "It seems like fate's given us a second chance." And he like go he he she shoots his shot and she pulls a dagger on him. So uh, yeah. lesson learned there, bro. But yeah. he he makes this deal with Catelyn because yeah. he knows he can sway her. He's yeah. done it before. He did it. In, that's yeah. her her famous line in that is. Uh, we can, he's like a little brother to me, Ned. He would never betray my trust. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. come yeah. on. Yep. I, I owe a, a lot of apologies to Catelyn Stark as a character, but I still look at that moment and go, oh, cat. Cat, cat, cat. Wide but, up, yeah. Hey, you know, that's what it is. So anyways, I love that moment yeah. there. Uh, I have a couple other ones to Arya, adding Pauliver to the list. And Arya just kind of, she got the list from Yorin. I, um, I never noticed that before. Yeah. Until this rewatch, that like in that moment, she adds Polliver to the list, like, oh, oh. Now, and the mountain. Yeah, I was like, yeah. aha, I got you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, what means more now, going back to Zaro for a second, but just uh, him sponsoring Danny in, I, I mentioned it, but I just this idea of like, cool, we've got another friend for Danny. Uh oh. And we fell for it. We fell for it. Uh, and then the final one, I don't want to hear some more from you. Sorry, I'm uh, monologuing here, but you mentioned it already, but I wanted to highlight it. No. Jora, Mormon, uh, Khaleesi, please be careful. She's not even speaking a word. Mm. He's he's tuned in. He knows what she's about to do, uh, you know, and, and what she's about to say. And I look along the way of of the advisors, the people around Danny that are keeping her 
from her worst tendencies. And we all have them. And I think that makes Danny an even more interesting and important character. She's not perfect. And she has choices. And, it's, and who, you, who you have around you is, is key. It, it, it is vital. Yeah. And Jorah is one of those, and, and he makes some mistakes for sure. But he knows her in this moment. Uh, he gets it. And I think that's that factors in going forward. I, watching it now has a lot more meaning to me of just like, man, you start losing people like him and Masende and, 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 and Barristan Selmy. You and I were talking. We're not there yet at season five, episode three. But I just watched that episode this week with Grace. We're doing kind of our own rewatch. We got ahead of, of Cashly Talk. I kind of... As much as I've seen that episode, Mark, mm-hmm. season five, episode three, Barristan Selmy literally tells Danny everything that's going to happen to her, everything that is happening to her when he tells her the truth about her, about her father. He, yeah. The mistakes, everything he did, and every time he felt uh, more power and, and he felt it was justice. And it's there. And, it, and, and, and when you start... The support system starts getting pulled away from Danny, and, and no one is there to help curb her. Uh, and and then factor in the I, I always you know that there is some justifications for some of Danny's beliefs, and also she does things for good, freeing the slaves. Very good thing, whether she did it with her bad behaviors or not. So it's deliciously and tragically complicated. But I take all mm-hmm. of that, Mark. And I'll pitch it back to you here, but I take all that back and I watch this moment again and it kind of broke my heart. Just having someone next to her who's like, I know what you're about to do, even though you're going to do it, I'm going to try to get you to work past that and rule in a different way. It, it, it makes me feel like when he says, please be careful, I wonder if in his mind he's thinking, I'm going to have to fight my way out of this and mm. I'm, I'm in a desert. <laughs> It's just like because she is going to say something really wrong and those guards are going to come after us and there's too many. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and not to mention they don't know what's behind the doors. There could be more. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Jorah, I mean, look, hopelessly romantic Jorah Mormont, yeah. uh, Sir Jorah Mormont. He just, yeah. I think yeah. he legitimately, uh, and it shows in his face. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we know it because he has a diatribe about it but i mean even in his face he believes and loves her so much that even if the trouble she's about to get them all into right then and there he's he's willing to just to fight and die for the sake of of her cause because i think he just legitimately believes she will be uh what the realm needs also selfishly he wants to be the one beside her when she does it all true but but yeah but you're right and also he's he's tired he's worn out he's just like we just trekked three days through the red waste to get here and we're about to die because you're gonna say something really bad and he's just like uh not like this not like this (laughs) they were dead unless zaro steps forward they're dead which again is why we're probably Biden. Probably the only time yeah. uh, Jorah was thankful for yeah. Zara so undocked yeah, yeah. for anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, hey, he's clued in early on there. That je- that uh, mm-hmm. inherent jealousy in Jorah of, uh, mm-hmm. about Daddy, uh, you know, it's not wrong. And, and we're going to, we'll get to some, uh, what I think is some great stuff with Quaith, even though I know uh, some people feel, oh, uh, you know, even man. Michelle mentioned it on her episode this you know, a lot of Quaith stuff maybe not, uh, maybe left on the table in the show, but I think it's a great use of, of the character. Uh, in the show too, I, but, I agree so hard. Yeah, though, but I, I do, I can't wait for more about Quaith in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, favorite moments, lines, scenes. What do you got? Just you can run through things that you just love about this episode. And I think there's a lot of great lines. Do you know what? 
there is a do you remember the lady prisoner that's talking about yeah there went my son and yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of days ago my sister why does that woman look like Blythe Danner she does look like Blythe Danner so much so that I had to check <laughs> on MGB sure to go, did Blythe Danner have yeah. a cameo in wow. Game of Thrones? She does not, but she that not. is a hell of a doppelganger, that's and awful. it just cracks me up when I see her, which yeah. is awful because that's a very <laughs> dramatic scene <laughs> this poor woman's in. I'm just like, that's Blythe Danner. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, that, um, it's pull. interesting. This is the... Yeah, yeah, this is this is one of the uh, one of the few episodes, no Jon Snow. Yeah. Uh, Jon Snow is nowhere to be found. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't even go to Winterfell or North of the Wall in this episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is which is a rare thing. Um, and then, of course, my favorite line of the of the show, uh, or at least in the episode, there's no cure for being a cunt. Yeah. That's um, a great one. And then, of course, we we can't we can't look past the moment. The climax of the episode, uh, the moment that this was this was one of those things after I read it in A Clash of Kings, I said, how are they even going to do this? Right. I, I, I don't see it happening. And sure enough, uh, Shadow Monster, there you are. And just the the look of devastating horror yeah. on Sir Davos Seaworth. <laughs> yeah. Just witnessing. He, like he can't even he can't speak. He can't go anywhere except slump to the ground because yeah. what is this that I'm seeing here? Um I just all of those, all of those, and the, and yeah. as we talked about, the writing is just spectacular in this episode. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we we talked a lot about uh, what Melisandre was talking about while being rowed to shore, which I think is, is is really key at the heart of the show's themes. But yeah, uh, shadow demon baby shadow monster left an impression <laughs> on a lot of people. Still does, <laughs> still does. Uh, oh, I wanna, yeah. <laughs> I do want to ask you about that. Um, you know, it is one of the things we know that the show, the story, even the books, it is about magic slowly returning and, and magic is mm-hmm. in far off places. It's deep in the north. It's far east. And and here comes Melisandre from a, from a shy, from a different religion to this land. And it's front and center. And this was I, I the dragons at the end of season one. Uh, I mean, the White Walkers already we've seen at Craster's Keep, but even going back to the cold open of, of season one, episode one, they're there. Mm-hmm. But to me... This is the first time you got some magic right on display. We've seen uh, Melisandre with Maester Cresson um, and, and, and drinking the poison as he dies. But this is in your face. What did you think about magic uh, <laughs> after reading it and seeing it here? Did you, did you feel, feel it worked for you? Uh, and how did you feel as, as a reader and a viewer of like, oh, we are definitely we got some fantasy. Oh, both. I remember reading it th- and I, I put the book down and went. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to have to process that one. And then, of course, what uh, the reason for that was. Yeah. And so I was excited. I said, if they don't put the shadow baby in this thing, like, yeah. I feel like that would be a complete loss. Yeah. But I don't know how they're going to pull that off. And I think they did because yeah. I'm legitimately watching this episode yeah. going back to when it first aired, thinking this is if they're they're going through with this, this is going to be weird and creepy and awesome. And it was weird, creepy and awesome. So much so that people that were starting Mm -hmm. to watch the show hit me up. They're going, what is going on with this show? You're you're not ready. You're not ready for what comes later. (laughs) A lot of reactions like that for me. Uh, And look, Chris Van Houten is so great in this role, but here she yes. is as, as an actor, barren at all. She does have the, uh, you know, prosthetic uh, uh, stomach there, but, you know, she's in a real dunge- a real cave with some walls. It's, it's a practical set. 
Um, she's mm-hmm. bared it all. Liam Cunningham's great, but uh, she she commits. And, and I got to admit to kind of when I was watching it the first time, I, I started to, you know, the show doesn't shy away from sex, certainly for better or worse. And mm-hmm. so when she's kind of telling Davos, oh, you like your wife? Oh, you're going to see me naked. I was like, well, they're going to they're going to they're going to do it. They're going to they're going to do it. <laughs> and so when he she kind of disrobes. I got to tell you, I, my mind and, and you know, a little bit of it, I guess, is, uh, you know, dumb male thinking we're going to get a sex scene. No, I was just like, OK, is she also going to have sex with? No, what is happening? And it just threw mm-hmm. me for such a loop that, I, yeah, it freaked me out. I didn't know what to expect. And, and, and therefore, I loved it. It was something unexpected for me and um, a lesson learned for me. Get your mind out of the gutter and there's some dark magic at play is what I had to learn. There. There's, <laughs> when there's dark magic, uh, all bets are off. It, all, it, assume nothing. All bets are off there. Uh, we t- talked about some of my uh, favorite quotes around uh, Stannis and Renly, but we all we also got the great uh, one of the first uh, fewer moments from Stannis that uh, pop up a lot. Fewer, uh, fewer. Uh, and I love that there too. So um, I mentioned some of those. Uh, you mentioned Har- Harrenhal, Arya unveiling the list. Renly with a peach is another one that works for me. I love yeah. I love uh, uh, Sir Marin Trant and Tyrion going at it, uh, which you know will hurt Tr- Tyrion later on in the trial. But just uh, Braun, the next time Sir Marin speaks, kill him. Now, see, that's a threat. I love that sequence. See the difference? Yeah. yeah. See the difference? Oh yeah, no, it's great. Just any any time Sir Marin Trant gets owned in any way, it's <laughs> and, a win. And up until his death, he gets owned a lot. Thankfully. thankfully. Oh, oh, that death. Though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> any other uh, favorite moments, lines, and scenes from you, Mark? Uh, this, I believe, is the first episode we are reintroduced to the mountain, but it's uh, the mountain two, as I yes. call him. Uh, Ian White, actor Ian White, or mm. White, however Welsh yeah, he pronounces yeah. that. Um, mm. Big man who would later come back, uh, not as the mountain, but as 1-1, the, uh, the giant, yes. to assist in the Battle of the Bastards. But uh, I, yeah, this was mm. the... Uh, the introduction of the second mountain, which I thought was like, oh, okay, interesting. It's, um, yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, because you're right. He won one, and then he's some White Walkers in season one and two. I am looking at it there. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I, I look. I, I, um, oh, and in season eight too. Yeah, you're you're so right. I didn't know. I knew he played a lot of different characters. Anyways, um, not to sidetrack. Uh, he's he's look. He's great. He saw. He's seven foot one. Uh, he definitely has the presence, but for, it just didn't work for me as the the mountain here. Um, and I'm happy with the the recast. I don't know the whole story on the on the first actor. Oh, was it Connie? Oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, Conan. Conan uh, yeah, yeah, Conan something. Yeah, apologize on that there. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. The, I think they end up in a good spot with him. Um, uh, with the actor Conan Stevens, there you go. I said Connie. Stevens, you yes. said Conan. Conan wins. Um, right, his friends call him Connie. It's yeah. cool. Uh, uh, it was a half for Julius uh, Bjornsson uh, is great. Uh, he's also you know infinitely uh, more younger than the other performers, but um, yeah. it works. It works for what they <laughs> needed to do. So nothing against Ian White. I, I think uh, uh, he had a good presence, but it, it just I, I remember. Not I don't know about you, but the well, if you had the book book in you, you didn't know. I I actually did not pick up on it was the mountain upon my first viewing until like this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I or we or maybe now later on we're sitting at the table with Tywin and I'm like, right, yeah, he's that oh, big lurker at the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, they recast it. What different presence? But anyways, uh, nothing against Ian White there, and he's great as one one. So 
good yeah. there. I wonder if they did that because maybe him, maybe his presence as just a, a looming figure wasn't as intimidating as they would would have liked. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know Conan Stevens and, and Hafthor, however you pronounce his name, yeah. are just you know muscle bound dudes. And yeah. but but the dial, but he gets um in why it gets more dialogue. Than the other mountains do. Um, So I wonder if that had something to do with it. It, it Very well. Yeah, I I don't, I forget the entire story in the Conan Stevens switch, but uh, he's hulking too. Ian White is slender and and the slender just wouldn't work for me as much, especially against uh, Rory McCann's not no no small uh, guy himself. What about 6465? So I think they end up in a good place. They knew where they needed to get. He needed to be otherworldly uh, by the time you get to the Red Viper (laughs) stuff. So anyways, uh, but he's here. He's here there. So. Uh, any other uh, moments and scenes here as we start to wrap up the look here at uh, episode four? I mean, I think we uh, I think we nailed it. I think we nailed all of it. We did indeed. We nailed it. Now a lot of great stuff. This is uh, this is a very solid episode. The parlay scene, the stuff with Tyrion, the dialogue with Davos and Stannis, Davos and and Melisandre. I think uh, I think it's great. And then and and, and I think. Danny does a lot of where are my dragons and screaming and stuff this entire season, but it really kicks up. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by her stuff here because she's learning valuable lessons, uh, a child of destiny, and I love all that stuff. So I, I, this is some of my favorite Danny stuff, even though it's not her in a position of power. So maybe I'm alone there uh, on, a, on, a, on a city in the Garden of Bones, but I, I do like it. It's her gradual... Uh you know, she's taking the the small baby steps, if you will. She's yep. taking her small, gradual baby steps to get into the position to where she needs to be when we find her in season three, when she you know takes off uh, yep. to young guy and stuff. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, the, I think this, even though it's a more subtle season mm-hmm. for Danny in a way, yeah, uh, it's necessary. And as you say, she learns incredibly valuable lessons from her entire. Uh, trip mm-hmm. in uh in Carth. Yeah. Um and yeah. this this episode is just full of little mm-hmm. intricate movements. A lot of moving pieces are yeah. happening in this episode as well as uh mm-hmm. foreboding and foreshadowing a little bit of that and just to let you know that hey things are going to get real real bad and pl- pay very close attention because we're we're laying it out there right in front of you so just oh, yeah. keep eyes open yeah it's just, uh, in the end this is i will say one of my favorite episodes so thank you to all who who made it there i said some of my episode stars uh, geth and anthony is renly uh, had a short run on the show, really, but Renly is memorable, and I think this is a, a great that parlay scene. I know the book readers, no peaches, got them upset. I totally understand, but um, I, I think this worked. And again, I, I mentioned, it, but Nicholas Blaine is the spice trader. I just, I, again, he's so good in being so bad. So, uh, uh, any uh, episode stars for you, sir? <laughs> yeah. Any, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 hard not to say him. It's and. Uh, <laughs> But of course, uh, old Rinley and uh, uh, I'll be honest. Um, mm-hmm. Catelyn uh, has this great moment with uh, just of no dialogue, nothing when she receives the bones from Baelish. Yeah, and um, I am completely blanking on her name right now. I'm sorry, Michelle uh, Fairley. Yeah, Michelle no, no, Fairley. Yeah. Michelle uh, Fairley. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. She says more on her face, and even when she just closes the 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 box back up after seeing Ned's bones, and they're yeah. just the look on her face tells a story all all on its own and she's just a phenomenal actress as it is but yeah. just in that moment yeah. uh during this rewatch i went wow 
That's they, just that's powerful. Yeah, they even talk about it. Always, you know, you run through uh, Wikipedia or, or Song of Ice and Fire uh, Wikipedia's and wiki pages, and, and many commenters praise the acting in this episode, highlighting Michelle Fairley in the scene where Catelyn receives her late husband's bones. I absolutely agree. There, she's, there you go. <laughs> she's so great in this episode. I said uh, up top, this won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Art Direction for a Single Camera Series. This particular episode, and I think that is uh, all part of what made the show. Um, work is it wasn't just the great acting, directing, and writing, it was also how it looked, how it filled, and how it was shot. Going to one of the first points you made in this episode, Mark. So, yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh man, Mark, this was great to have you on. Long overdue. Uh, it's good to yeah. have you here. Tell everybody, uh, not just where they can find you, but what you're working on over there with the Feeding the Monster Boys and, and anything else you got going on. Yeah, the Feeding the Monster podcast feed, me and uh, a few other, uh, uh, very interesting characters. We do our thing. I believe at the time of this recording is dropped, we will have done our holiday show, nice. AKA season finale, wrapping up our season so we can get to you, get back to you fresh from the start next uh, year. Uh, and so you can find us there at 5TM pod on Twitter and then uh, find me at Mark the Bat on Twitter and Instagram. Mark the Bat. Uh, absolutely, folks. Do that. You can follow me at Ken Napsock. Go to KenNapsock.com. And uh, we are in the process. I'll let you all know soon, but we're in the process of uh, Casually Talk. We'll have its own YouTube channel, moving it off the Ken Napsock page to its own thing, which means we'll be rebuilding it to monetize it and all those kind of things, but more coming there as well. So look forward to that uh other than that that is it wow we are on to a great episode next week a next episode looking at the ghost of harrenhal we got it tywin and Arya sitting down having a little snack we'll see you next week on casterly talk <laughs>